Welcome to Unsuitable on Ray Radio, the award-winning financial services and business advisory podcast that challenges your old-school business practices and our traditional business suit culture. Our guests are industry professionals and experts who will challenge you to think beyond the suit and tie while offering you meaningful modern solutions to help you enhance your company's growth. I'm your host, Dave Kane. Another tax season has come and gone. March Madness is over. The Masters is over. And we are left with a lot to consider. This was the first year we got to see the Tax Cuts and Jobs Acts in action, and a lot of people, it seems, were caught off guard. So today, Chris Axine, Ray's Sultan of Taxation, will join us to go over what those of us in the accounting industry noticed about this year's tax season, the good, the bad, and the really ugly, and how we can improve in the year ahead. Welcome back to Unsuitable, Chris. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. You know, I've called you a lot of things over the years. The Sultan of Taxation has not been one of them. What do you think about that uh, nickname? Well, you know, just add it to the long list of things people have called me, and that's probably, you know, it's it's one of the better ones, so I'll take it. Yeah. You know, we're we're sitting here, it's May, and, and the, you know, the greens are, are cut and starting to run nicely, and, you know, by golly, we're still talking about uh, the mess of last tax season. Well, I, I don't know how we survived, but I, I guess we did because we're sitting here today. Yeah, uh, you know, talking about it, and uh, uh, it's going to be many more months to digest what took place and kind of work work it through our noodle through it to um, you know figure out what was good and and what was not so good, and and maybe hopefully what um, we can prepare for ahead of time for next year. Right. You know, I want to frame this conversation more under the business planning than tax planning. Because tax planning plays an important role in, in business planning. So, you know, a lot of times when we start talking tax planning, what we really mean is just good old-fashioned business planning. You agree? Absolutely. Let's go for it. You know, certainly taxes are a large part of uh, overhead uh, for our clients and, and us as individuals. And also it represents a, a risk if if we don't get it right. That's right. And, uh, you know, that's part of, uh, you know, what we want to do here. You know, feel free to add in on the conversation, you know. Uh, you know, you, that, that's uh, why you're here as a guest. I'm you're still, still recovering from busy right. season. That's, so that's, it's a, that's exactly right. Man. You know, um, you're, you're just an ordinary guy, you <laughs> know, right. the tax guy, you know, and, and for our listeners that can't see Chris, of course, of course, go on to the YouTube channel. You can take a look. Uh, you know, Chris is not your stereotype CPA. He doesn't have a pocket protector. You know, the guy plays golf. He's got his uh, pilot's license. Uh, I do have my sweater vest on. Got your today. sweater vest. It's a little cold out for May. Wow. And uh, if you go on, you'll see uh, some Hendrix gin. I mean, this guy's rocking when it comes to taxes. Well, now, you know, a- after surviving busy season, I can take the rest of the year off, right? Sure. So, you know, I'll tell you one of the things we did see on the business side this past busy season, which I think was um, was really helpful in terms of cash flow. So going back to your point about um, businesses and, and overhead and and managing taxes to increase cash flow was the whole accrual to cash. Okay. Um, uh, you know, the uh, change that came out of tax law. So so let's, let's dive into that because we have uh, quite a few uh, stories all on the uh, very, very positive side. Is that still going to be available for uh, 2019, 2020? Yep, absolutely. It's uh, it's in place, and and what's uh, r- really intriguing um, as as we've gone through busy season and discovered that for 2018, the 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 threshold, if you will, that um, what 
this accrual of cash applied to was for small businesses. And, and so Congress defined that by um, reference to gross receipts. And so average gross receipts, $25 million or less, you're eligible to use accrual to ca- a cash method of accounting. That's important and beneficial for clients because they don't pay tax um, on their income until the clients actually, their customers pay them. Uh, versus uh, on the accrual method when when they're paying it, you know, when they when they send an invoice. Um, and so if there's a delay in payment, they can be fronting the, uh, the, the float on that, if sure. you will. Sure. So what's, what's intriguing is, is that $25 million is indexed for inflation. And so in 2019, it's going up to $26 million. So that, that's, you know, even better. It's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. You know, one of the things that we both heard that folks were a little bit challenged of making that change because what what may happen is they may have a tax return that has virtually no income or maybe a a loss for the year and their financial statements had a, had a net profit and certainly they were concerned about their uh, financial statements in the bank and and we both heard that right. loud and clear sure. can you comment on that well certainly so you know, when when we had these conversations with clients this past busy season, the the discussion was, hey, you know, as a part of how it gets reported on the cash method, you're taking receipts off um, off the off the tax return. But I think to your point, you're not taking receipts off their financial statements because um, there there isn't what we would call a conformity requirement where the financial statements have to match the methodology on the tax return. You can have accrual basis statements for for financial purposes as and then but be on cash for tax. So the bankers like that cuz they're used to seeing if you're accrual there that's what they're used to seeing and therefore you don't have to mess with their financials and then have to have a conversation with the bankers and right. who may or may not understand what we're doing from a tax perspective. Yeah, without giving away a lot of numbers, you and I uh, both were involved with a couple uh, I'll call them home runs. I mean, they were big home runs as far as Tax savings, tax planning, cash flow strategies. Well, don't hold back. Well, we got to go for it. Uh, <laughs> but you brought that uh, to our teams uh, to the table uh, a number of times, and it and it took a few examples, real live examples, to get that uh, uh, ball rolling. But I think we'll see more of that in this coming year. It is a powerful tool, and of course, the the discussion we have with them is in the end, it's a time, it's about time value of money. Uh, because we're all we're doing is is we're if you will kicking the can down the road on on when they're going to pay the tax uh, on those sales when they get the money. Right, sure. Um, but nevertheless, uh, if that you know period down the road is four, five, six years because they're continuing to expand their business and they're continuing to build customers, then the the savings today. Um, on that can be on the order of two, three hundred thousand dollars of cash flow. That then they can use that, and they may not pay that back. Correct. Uh, for five, six years. Correct. Correct. You know, we're going to talk about uh, throughout the next few minutes. The you know the winners and losers, and and some other things that uh, we've run across. But you know, the media has been all over this, and I, I you know I don't know we had the final numbers, but the first thing we both heard it from a personal. Uh, standpoint that refunds were were down X percent from a year ago. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that, and and certainly we've seen some of that. As you've pointed out, the way the tax law gets made, and this isn't new. Um, historically, there's, there are winners and losers, 
and that's just the the, the way it works. Um, it's hard for everybody to win, unfortunately, um, when it comes to that, because at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about um, taxes that fund our government. So if you're giving a benefit to somebody over here on this side of the table, in large part, you're taking something away from somebody on the other side of the table, and that's just how our system works. Do you um, think there's going to be some patches coming forward this fall, maybe? Well, I I would... We need some. I'll, I'll okay. say it that way. Okay. We, we absolutely need some some patches and fixes to correct... You know, some of some things that maybe weren't intended, but the unintended consequences, unintended consequences. The the challenge, though, unfortunately, when you have divided Congress is uh, it's hard to get anything done. And I think we that's borne out through the first, you know, five plus months here in 2019. And unfortunately, I, from what I've seen, I'm, I'm not too optimistic uh, of getting anything meaningful through. So in that case, then we, we have to rely on the IRS and Department of Treasury to uh, maybe help us out in terms of issuing regulations and, and guidance on this is what we think Congress in, is intended and this is how we're going to enforce it and treat it uh, until or unless they can you know, fix it themselves. Am I going to get my real estate tax uh, back? I don't think you're getting your real estate taxes back. You don't, huh? Now, if I were a betting man, I, there'd be a better chance of the, of the Browns going to the Super Bowl. Uh, you put your money on them, buddy. I think uh, I think you'll see it. I think you'll see it. Well, yeah, see it in your lifetime. I'm, you know. yeah, that, well, maybe. Let's go on to the next topic uh, as well. But uh, you know this uh, this qualified business income thing that approached this past year. I, I don't care what firm you're with. This thing is just was just a total nightmare. Uh, good for a lot of people, but very complex. It, it is absolutely. It it, it is um, you know an accountant's full employment act type provision uh, where it, it's kept us busy trying to figure out what the heck how to comply and and how to uh, ultimately report it and and all the the ins and outs that that go into actually getting it on an, an individual business owner's tax return. Uh, not the least of which was the whole rental real estate part of it. And, and that's a large part of what we see in our client base is we have business owners that also own the real estate um, for the business and they own it in a different entity. And, you know, there's some some challenges there of it it's, feels like it's harder than it should be. I agree. To get that qualified. Right, right. There's, uh, on the surface, it sounded uh, really good and uh, great. And, and we saw some some really key benefits. And then we saw some other things. So, oh boy, that that probably is uh, not right. That was an unintended consequence. I agree. Yeah, the, and and it all comes down to in, in that example is is the lack of a definition of what constitutes a trader business. Right. Seems pretty easy to me. Well, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it must be a duck, it right? Sure, yeah. Well, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, in, in that analysis, there was certainly discussion about. Uh, triple net leases, which again, uh, I think a lot of our listeners who are in the lease, especially commercial triple net leases, um, you know, is where it's at. But could that possibly change? Is this tax act going to maybe force people to take a look at that? You know, there's an old saying that don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Uh, and, and I think that's still true. So to translate that, don't get so tunnel vision on an individual 
uh, on the tax side of something that you lose the larger picture of what you're trying to accomplish. So there's valid reasons that are outside of tax why you have a triple net lease. And there may be a downside to changing one or more of those provisions. Certainly on the face of it, it seems simple to adjust one of the provisions so that it's no longer right. triple net. Maybe it's double net in, in all the, that those terms mean. Uh, but just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean it makes good business sense to do it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up and, you know, go, kind of go back to where we opened up is this is a topic about business planning. You know, sure, you might be able to save a couple bucks by doing this on your tax bill, but it maybe not makes sense from a business standpoint. Yeah, and, and we've discussed this on on prior podcasts on choice of entity and and where you can make a foolish decision in the short run because you're focused on, hey, I've got a low tax rate, but in the long run, it's going to cost you money. That's why you're the sultan of taxation because you are have a practical approach to you know, life in general and business in general. So you, you've, you've got uh, your finger on the pulse on this thing. But uh, again, qualified business income, uh, I guess our listeners, if, um, you know, they pull their tax return out and take a look at that, you know, that's a, that's a tough item. You know, they probably saw a, an increase in their professional services bill uh, for their advisors walking through some of those calculations. That's right. So this is an example of regardless of the level of benefit you might get, there's reporting um, requirements that have to be um, disclosed on the pass-through entity return, so the business return, um, for all of the owners, the K-1 um, owners in the business. And, you know, we have to go through that because the if we don't, then the if if we don't disclose what's required, the IRS assumes that it's zero. And, and so, you know, regardless of whether or not we do all of the uh, investors, the owners' tax returns, and sometimes we don't do all of them, we still have to go through the time and effort to make sure we have all the proper disclosures in our pass-through entity tax return uh, because we can't make that decision for them. We don't know what don't their know. situation right, is. Right. And if we don't do our job, then they, they don't get anything. So the K-1s just got a little more crowded with a bunch of financial data. There's lots of additional white paper statements on the back of the official form this year than there has been in the past. That's that's for sure. So again, I, I can recall um, several times walking out of the office during tax season and, uh, you know, you had your head down. I don't know whether you just had enough, you were praying or... I got into that Hendrix. I wasn't quite sure. This thing was driving you nuts. Well, it was it's probably all of the above. And when I started busy season, I had a full head of hair. And look at me now. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, you know, going forward, 2019, 2020, uh, country club dues, season tickets to the Browns, concert tickets to George Strait. I assume those are all going to be deductible. Well, so you've apparently missed the the prior podcast where we talked about that. I'm not a salt in the taxation. I'm just a uh, I'm just I a regular guy. I know you're hopeful that maybe there'll be a tweak and and the uh, the entertainment lobby will be able to get that repealed. I don't see that coming. You know, I I, I and I knew that rule. I just want to see if uh, anything changed. I wanted to see if you knew that rule because you were going to sign my tax return if if not. But. Uh, uh, how about investments uh, in business going forward? Uh, you see, sense anything in uh, uh, depreciation changes? Uh, so far, so good, looking good. But what do you think? Well, so what's interesting 
is this qualified opportunity zone benefit that came out of the tax law change and the ability to kick the can down the road on on paying tax on the gain, on capital gain, if you reinvest um, the proceeds of that uh, equal to the gain in a qualified opportunity zone. And and so those are popping up and around the country and certainly here in Ohio as well and, and even in Columbus. Uh, and so I, I think as... Look, the um, the private equity um, dollars are still hot. There's still lots of money looking for deals. And so that's generating gains. And those gains, um, that's absolutely one of the tools um, that we have when we uh, are representing sellers, you know, if, if they're interested in, in deferring some of their gain is to maybe look at these qualified opportunity zones. Sure. And and so part of that is is businesses that are operating in those zones and may uh, have an opportunity to have an influx of capital. You know, certainly we saw less folks uh, paying the alternative minimum tax this past year, but it's still there. Um, any chance that's going away? I don't see the crystal balls not showing that. Not showing that. You know, it is good news. Uh, I'll, I'll admit as a, myself, I uh, this is the first year I haven't had to pay some amount of, of alternative minimum tax. And so that's a good thing. But the, the reality is, is that it's still a revenue raiser. And, and again, that's what it comes back to is the, the calculus, if you will, of, um, of we've got to fund uh, our government. And if... Uh, if we eliminate entirely the alternative minimum tax, then that's dollars that are not coming in that have to be found someplace else. You know, I think we got to remember that a lot of that alternative minimum tax that we had in the past went away because of the loss of the real estate tax deduction and the limitations of our, our tax deduction on, on our itemized deductions. And that, that's a good part of it. They, they, there were really two tweaks there. That was one of them. So you didn't think I was paying attention, did you? You're, you're pretty smart for an old guy. The uh, second part of it was, though, they also raised the, um, if you will, the threshold of uh, kind of where the AMT kicks in. And, and under prior law, uh, if you were somebody that was maybe in the 300000 and up range, you were going to be in AMT, um, a lot in AMT. Uh, now, I think the kind of prevailing wisdom, what we saw coming out of busy season was a uh, million dollars and above. Sure. Okay. And a lot of that had to do, I think, uh, some of the examples uh, that we looked at was maybe heavy capital gain, uh, things like that, that maybe the, the alternative minimum tax or the alt-min uh, cop, you know, popped in there. You know, in the past, um, a lot of these tax credits that were running around, like the research and development credits, uh, couldn't take full advantage of that because of the alternative minimum tax. But, you know, as that threshold has changed, are we going to see more opportunities with, with tax credits? Sure. Um, the, you know, their tax credits never go out of out of vogue. They're always something that should be considered because it, it's even better than a deduction because it's a dollar for dollar reduction in your tax. Um, and the R&D credit, um, Congress is, is permanent now. Sure. Uh, and that's been in law for a couple of years. And so that's a good thing. And, and um, when you have the right set of facts and as tax preparers and planners, when we're having uh, conversations with our business clients, that's absolutely one of the things we talk about is, hey, what kind of credits are out there that you aren't taking advantage of that maybe you should? And, and that's one of them. Work opportunity tax credit, depending on what type of industry you're in, that could be another one. Right. You know, again, as we had uh, and held our post-tax season huddles and, and shared ideas, we did hear on a number of times that 
you know, people had made gifts and, and felt that uh, since the gift tax or the estate tax had has changed, that they really didn't need to file a gift tax return. And I still think that's the case. We have to file gift tax returns. Sure. Yeah. Certainly, um, for from a number of perspectives, the first one is if you are gifting um, non-cash property, you absolutely need to file a gift tax return to um, get the statute of limitations running on 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 that year you made the gift. Because if you don't file a return, the statute never runs, and that gives the IRS basically forever to attack the value you used. Right. You know, before we wrap up with winners and losers, I want to talk about tax planning for the year ahead. I think we uh, we talked about a few of them, but let's go back and revisit some some uh, home runs, if you will, or some things that has to be must conversation in 2019. Okay. Got anything you're thinking? Well, I, I, I want to go back to that accrual to cash. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's good. Uh, I think you maybe need to... Um, uh, have some education with our clients about their uh, rental structure. Um, that again, anytime rental agreements always need to be updated, but there may be some things uh, there. Any other things that you're going to have uh, have conversations with our clients and in our colleagues about? Yeah. So uh, to you to your point, the pass through business deduction, um, having conversations about now that we've lived with it for one year and and maybe discovered some things that we weren't sure about going into it is uh, planning around that and, and are there opportunities to um, restructure uh, to, to maximize the benefit that is there on the owner's personal returns. Um, cool cash, you mentioned. A choice of entity. Choice of entity, still good, okay. Still good, still there. Okay. Um, and that because on the corporate side, the, the C-Corp rates are permanent. That, that change was permanent, uh, at least as we sit today. So talking about that, you know, what's interesting uh, back on the individual side is, is um, with the changes on the itemized deductions and the capping on the state and local tax deduction piece of that and charitable giving and, and we'll, you know, see throughout, you know, the next month or two on how 2018 played out and, and whether the, you know, charities as a group saw a, a diminished a decrease good point. in contributions. Um, but having conversations with clients that didn't contribute enough to get over that um, standard deduction hurdle about uh, what we call a term we call stacking, where you're trying to um, every other year, maybe you're, you're going to plan to be an itemized deduction, um, take those on your return. And so you're planning for those contributions um, to get you there and, and you know, so that it, it gives you some benefit. Certainly, many people give because they want to give and they don't care that the, you know, they don't want or expect anything in return. But there certainly is a, a subset that gives and, and they give because they know historically that they could get a deduction and right. that made them feel even better about it. Right. You know, I think we're, we're, we're planned to get together next week to do another podcast on uh, partnership and operating agreements. So we'll uh, dig into that. But to make sure you put on your calendar to come back and visit us in the fall and and kind of revisit this conversation. We'll replay it and and see where we go from there. Well, I'll have to uh, fit that into my golf schedule, but we'll see what we can sure, do. Good. Okay, let's end up with um, who are the losers? Well, losers. Yeah. So if you had, uh, in all likelihood, if you uh, had a family with kids that are older than sixteen, you probably came out worse 
this year than than under the prior law. And that has a lot to do with the changes to the child tax credit uh, and the loss of personal exemptions um, in, in all those tweaks. So that certainly is a group. Uh, we saw a lot of that. Um, on the flip side of that, younger kids, uh, you were going to be on the winning side of that. Cool. Good. Good. Our guest today has been Chris Axine. Chris is a federal tax strategy expert. And I'll use that term very heavily because this guy knows a lot of things about tax strategy and business planning. So thanks again for joining us, Chris. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Dave. I was happy to be here. Now that we've taken the time to reflect on this last tax season as a whole, we're going to bring you back to talk about another change and future implications. Next week, we're going to talk to you about the new IRS partnership audit rules and how they will impact partnerships going forward. Really looking forward to that conversation. That's going to be a great topic. You won't want to miss that. Listeners, I hope you will make plans to join us. In fact, now would be a great time to subscribe to Unsuitable on Ray Radio. If you haven't already on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on YouTube, so that you will be notified as soon as next week's episode drops. In the meantime, help us share the love by liking today's episode, commenting on it, and sharing it within your network. Until next time, I'm Dave Kane, encouraging you to loosen up your tie and think outside the box. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 